Our scripture verse this morning is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this day that um, we can be here together um, for a full house here to meet the pastor. And um, I just ask as we go into our worship service this morning that you would send your spirit to um, provide me the words that are needed this morning and Give each one here ears to hear, that they might be blessed in the way that they most need this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It has been a little while, I think, since I've spoken. Not too long, but a little bit. And we, uh, if you looked at the schedule out on the board, I think it said open slash DVD. And uh, the elders all fought to see who could be the first one to preach in front of the pastor. <laughs> And I got the short straw, so no, um, actually I've been slated to speak for a while, but um, it is a pleasure to be able to speak to you this morning and to be here with you and to see so many uh, faces here this morning. And um, I called the sermon title With You, but I could have named it, I guess, so many other different things. Um, Maybe one that would have been there is, um, and I don't know if our... uh, Microphone is going to cooperate today, so maybe I'll just stay at the So we will just roll with that. Um, but I, I think we could have called the sermon just hanging out, actually. When I, when I um, said with you uh, what I meant or what I was talking about, I want to talk about God being with you no matter what. As it said in the last part of our scripture reading this morning, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And there are so many examples in the Bible of God being with us that we can point back to or look to. Um, You think about the story of Joseph um, and all that he went through, how, you know, he was probably kind of the spoiled spoiled kid in the family to some extent, but obviously there was training there for him that had in a lot of ways equipped him for what he was to go into and to be taken away from home, you know, to be kind of the pampered one and then suddenly ripped from your home and to be a slave and to go through that and to have, there there had to be some training there from his father that 
he still trusted in God through that, right? He still had faith in God, even to the point he gets to Egypt and he's sold to um, Potiphar, and he ends up being elevated in Potiphar's household because of his work ethic and being a good manager of everything that was there. And then because of what happens there, um, Potiphar's wife obviously has attracted him, and then that whole thing goes down and he gets thrown into prison. So he's like this huge roller coaster that he's on. I don't know if you guys ever feel like your life is a roller coaster. I go through that sometimes. Um, the story of Moses, who, you know, his life, how it started out, and having him be able to be with his mo- mother, his actual mother, until he was, I think, around 12, and then he was taken into um, the temple and trained there. And all of those things that happened to him, he got the foundation of trusting God from his, his real mother, his real parents, and then was taken and trained in the way of being a leader of many people in the kingdom, um, being trained even to possibly be Pharaoh, and then because of seeing the persecution and happening to his people, made a mistake and murdered a man and had to flee. But all of those things led to him then coming back and being essentially the savior of Israel to take them out of Egypt um, with God's power, um, being given God's power and being appointed as the leader. You look at the story of Job and how successful he was and all that he was blessed with because he walked with God, we're told. And then all of that is taken away. And he's not only has all of his children die and all of his livestock be taken away, but he is personally afflicted with boils and all kinds of um, trials. And through it all, even though it probably, I mean, like he, he could have easily, Job could have easily concluded that God was not with him, Right? I mean, think about everything that he lost. Think about all of what he went through, and yet he trusted God through all of that because God had blessed him to start with and because he had such a great relationship with God before all that happened. There was a trust that was built there between them. Uh, we were singing in our Sabbath school class. The, the primaries and the juniors get together before Sabbath school each morning. Um, and we start our Sabbath school together just singing some songs together and having some praise time. Every once in a while we play a little game or something. But we sang In His Time this morning. And I was looking at that um, song. And it's a very simple song. In His Time, In His Time, right? The notation, the scriptural notation for that song was Romans 8.28, which is, um, all things work together for good for those who love God. And it is true. All things do work together, and we may not see it in the moment that we're at, but in his time, he works all those things out for our good. A couple of different, there was a couple of different scriptural references that... um, stuck out to me as I was preparing for this morning. And normally I like to have everything just written down like word for word what I'm going to say and then I ad lib a little bit. And I didn't do that today. I wrote down a bunch of scriptural stuff that I wanted to reference, but um, just praying that God will, will provide the words this morning. As one of, the, one of the texts or one of the things, the different examples that were here, um, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God 
tells his people he will be with them no matter what. Um, you look at Deuteronomy, right? As he had led Moses and the children of Israel out in, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, this is right before Moses died, and he's talking to Joshua, who he's going to be the next leader of Israel, or the next representative to, to work with the people of Israel for God. And he says, Be strong and courageous, and do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who, give, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then just right after that, in Joshua 1, verse 9, God himself talking to Joshua says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You look at, you know, years later after, all the, after Israel has had many kings, which wasn't God's intention in the first place, um, the kings... Um, turn away from God and um, become proud of what they have. And um, Babylon ends up coming and just destroying Jerusalem, conquering, conquering the Israelites, taking many of them away as slaves. And in Isaiah 41, <clears throat> verse 10, God, he's, he's relating a message from God to the people during that time, and it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So even in a time where they've been conquered and they've been taken away to another kingdom, God is still promising them, I will help you. I will uphold you. Paul, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, talking to, um, to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 8, says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and their intimate faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And again, Paul, in the book of Romans, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, in Romans 8, I, I know I've said this from the pulpit before, but if you haven't studied Romans 8, read it and read it again and read it again and read it again. It is a fantastic chapter with just so many tremendous promises for us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're shown that again and again, right? Even in the darkest times for God's people, even in the darkest times, he's there with them. He's walking with them. We read in our children's story this morning, kind of the beginning of what I wanted to talk about today, and this is found in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19, um, with the story of Elijah and um, things that were going on there, and how he was representing God. And one of the things that, I'm not going to read 17 and 18 to you, because that's kind of what was covered in the children's story, and I think we all know the story pretty well. One of the things I wanted to point out from chapter 18 was at the time that 
Elijah came back to the people, of, or came back to, to Israel to see King Ahab, he went to, he, in, the, in the children's story, it simplifies it and just says they met on the road. But what had actually happened is at the beginning of, of chapter 18, um, it tells us, for three years no rain fell in Samaria, and there was almost nothing to eat anywhere. And that was when the Lord said to Elijah, go and meet with King Ahab, I will soon make it rain. So Elijah went to see Ahab. Now at that time, Obadiah was in charge of Ahab's palace. But he faithfully worshipped the Lord. So isn't that interesting? You have this king who demands that all the people worship Baal and his idols, has done away with or tried to do away with anything relating to, to God, and yet there's somebody high in his leadership, Obadiah, who, is faith, who faithfully worships the Lord. In fact, when Jezebel was trying, and Jezebel is Ahab's wife, when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets, Obadiah hid 100 of them in two caves and gave them food and water. So it wasn't just that Ahab put up altars to Baal and wanted the people to worship Baal. He also was persecuting God's leaders, right? He was persecuting the priests and the prophets. And Obadiah secretly hid 100 of them in caves um, to give them food and water. So Ahab sent for Obadiah and said, We have to find something for our horses and mules to eat. If we don't, we will have to kill them. Let's look around in every creek and spring in the country for some grass. You go one way, and I'll go the other. And they left in separate directions. And this is when Elijah was coming back. And Ahab's in one direction, Obadiah's in the other, and Obadiah sees Elijah. And he's like, um, it says, as Obadiah was walking along, he met Elijah, and Obadiah recognized him and bowed down and asked, Elijah, is it really you? And Elijah rep- replied, yes, go tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah replied, King Ahab will kill me if I tell him that. So they've been searching for Elijah for a long time, and Obadiah knows King Ahab is going to be very upset if Elijah is here. And his fear is that he's going to go to tell Ahab and Elijah's going to leave. So and that's the discussion that they have. He's like, if I go and I get him and I come back and you're not here, I'm dead. He's going to kill me. And so Elijah promises that he will, will be there. But that's just an interesting, an interesting, I think, context. One, to understand the persecution that God's people were under and that Elijah truly had to fear for his life in this case, right? Not just because he had said there would be no rain, but this was something that Ahab and Jezebel were trying to do away with all of God's leaders and prophets. And so um, we read about, we talked about how Elijah then went and met with Ahab, and Ahab calls him the troubler of Israel. And it's interesting um, because as Ahab gathered everybody together, it says there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah um, who, eat at, who ate at Jezebel's table. Ahab got everyone together and they went to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. And Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you try to have things both ways? And that was... Obviously, I'm talking about a lot of the different things in the story, but I highlighted that. And that, to me, is, is a real message for us today. Are we trying to have things both ways? 
We're told in the, where is it in the scriptures that it says you can't serve God and mammon or money. And um, our, our, um, our scripture talked about, or our, one of our verses talked about that today too, with, with having, um, keep, keep your life free from the love of money and be content in Hebrews 13, 5 through 8. Keep your life free from the love, love of money and content with what you have because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it doesn't have to be money specifically, but is there something that you're dividing your time or your priorities where you're placing a higher priority on something other than your relationship with God? There's, there's all kinds of illustrations I've seen about that, and one of these days maybe we'll do one of them from the front here, but are you making God first in the morning when you get up? Is he your last thing at night when you go to bed? Is he a priority in your household? Are you teaching your children about him? Are you living in such a way that you don't even have to say anything, that the people around you can see that you are a follower of Christ? I've said before one of my favorite quotes um, is, uh, was a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, And he said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And I always think that's so fantastic, because it encapsulates, we should be living in such a way that how we live screams and speaks of the fact that we have the love of God filling our heart. How we treat others around us, how we act and conduct ourselves in business, all of those things, how we act towards our family, towards our children, all of those things should show God's love. How long will you try to have it both ways? How long are you going to keep hanging on to the things that you don't need or that you are, have placed at a higher priority than God? So Elijah says that to them. How much longer will you try to have it both ways? If the, Lord God, if the Lord is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. And we know the rest of that part of the story, right? They build the two altars, and the prophets of Baal spend hours trying to get fire to come down from heaven to prove that Baal is a real God, that Baal is real. And it's not successful. And then Elijah sets up the altar, and um, they built, he built the altar, with, and it says, with 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he dug a ditch around it, the altar, large enough to hold about 14 liters. And he placed wood on the altar, and then they cut the bull into pieces and laid the meat on the wood. And he told the people, fill four large jars with water and pour it over the meat and the wood. And after they did this, he told them to do it two more times. So they poured 12 large, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, pictures of ancient, older style, like water jars or whatever. They're usually like yay tall, and they probably hold, I don't know, at least five to six to maybe eight gallons a piece. Probably, probably at least five. So if you figure four of those times, that's 20 gallons, and they did that two more times, that'd be 60 gallons of water that they poured roughly, that maybe that they poured over top of the the sacrifice and over top of the altar, and it filled the moat around it. 
And then Elijah prays. And we know God sends the fire. And it doesn't just burn up the offering. It burns everything. It destroys the, the stones of the altar. It destroys all of it. It's all burned up and destroyed. And so you'd think when that, all that happens, right? Elijah's got to be on a pretty big high right now. Everything's going just right. God showed up when he wanted him to. When, you know, God, obviously, God had sent him, so God had told him he was going to do this. So he should have been able to trust that. It wasn't just that he asked for it without God telling him, so he was following God's leading. But God showed up. God came through. And so then the rain comes. And we're actually told in the Bible that Elijah had sent his servant to tell Ahab, um, get something to eat and drink because a heavy rain, I, I hear a heavy rain coming. And then Elijah actually um, tells his servant to go tell Ahab to get his chariot and start home, otherwise the rain will stop him because it's going to rain so hard. And um, a few minutes later it says it got cloudy and windy and it started to pour and Elijah wrapped his coat around himself and the Lord gave him strength to run all the way to Jezreel and Ahab followed in his chariot. So he basically leads Ahab back to home. So at that point he wasn't scared, right? He led him back. He gets back, gets him back home. And then we start into chapter 19 and that's where it's always interesting to me how fast sometimes the stories take a turn because then Ahab told his wife Jezebel what had happened and what Elijah had done and that he had killed all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And she sent a message to Elijah, you killed my prophets, now I'm going to kill you. I pray that the gods will punish me even more severely if I don't do this, do it by this time tomorrow. Now, Elijah just came back, faced Ahab, all the prophets of Baal, 850 loyal followers of Baal and Asherah, you know, the priests of Baal and Asherah, faced all of them and had this huge thing where God came through and performed this miracle for him. Wouldn't he have just been like, you can't, you know, if I, if I get killed, it's God's will, but God's going to protect me. Do you think that should have been his response? Maybe. I don't know. That's not what happened. So Elijah was afraid when he got her message. And part of the reason I wanted to point out that part before about them persecuting God's prophets. Other prophets had been killed. Right? So it's not like God was protecting all the prophets and none of them were, were harmed or hurt. So I think he had reason to have fear. But it's interesting how often... Even at times where we have been the most blessed, that we allow fear to come into our hearts and be a block between us and Christ. You know, we've just gone through a pandemic here and it's still with us. It's not like COVID's going away, right? It's still something that's present and probably will be present for the rest of mine and yours and everybody else's lives. Call it an endemic at that point because it's just there. It's in the animal population, it's in people, and it's so widespread that we aren't going to eliminate it. How did we react to that? How have we carried ourselves through that whole journey, right? It's been a couple of years now. Initially, there was, 
you know, because of, I think a fear of the unknown is what I would call it. There was a lot of, let's take the maximum steps that we should to try and be as safe as we can to try and protect ourselves so that we don't make ourselves or others sick. And I don't necessarily think that was wrong, but I think that there was definitely, there, and, and through that, because of that, kind of springing out of that, was this systemic, I would call it, fear that has just kind of percolated, right? And it's funny because for some, the reaction is almost, almost comical the other way, right? I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of nothing. I don't need to mask. I don't need to do anything. I'm good. And for others, it's like, you know, they're in absolute fear to the point where they're like wearing a mask in their own home or something of that nature, and you can think of funny examples to exemplify that all the way through, but it is, it is funny that so often we can let fear creep in and control and separate us from that relationship that we have with Christ, right? Rather than focusing on him and the fact that he's always taking care of us and he'll continue to take care of us, we, we get worried about how we're going to make it till to tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So bottom line with all of this is that Elijah runs away, right? He runs away and he ran, it says, to the town of Beersheba in Judah and then he left his servant there and he walked another whole day into the desert and finally he came to a large bush. He sat down in the shade and he begged the Lord, I've had enough, just let me die. I'm no better off than any of my ancestors. And then he lay down in the shade and fell asleep. So it's almost like he was on this high with everything that happened, and it has turned so fast, and it's, he's almost depressed at this point, right? He's exhausted. He's pushed through. He's done all of this, and now he's just, he's done. He's at the end of his rope, and he's like, I just, I'd rather die. Just let me die. But God didn't do that. He stayed with him, even though, even though Elijah was at that point. God was still there with him, even at that lowest point. And God sent an angel, and the angel let him, he slept for a while, and then the angel woke him up and said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around, and his head, by his head was a jar of water, and some baked bread. And he sat up and ate and drank, and then he lay down and he went to sleep again. And he slept for a while, and the angel of the Lord woke him again and said, Get up and eat, or else you'll get too tired to travel. And so Elijah sat up and ate and drank, and the food and water made him strong enough to walk 40 more days. And at last he reached Mount Sinai in the mountain of God. And while Elijah was on Mount Sinai, the Lord asked him, Elijah, why are you here? And he answered, Lord God all-powerful, I've always done my best to serve you, but your people have broken their solemn promise to you. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets, except me. And now they are, and now they are even trying to kill me. And so God told him to go out and stand on the mountain, the Lord replied. I want you to be there when I pass by. And all at once a strong wind shook the mountain and shattered the rocks, but the Lord was not in the wind. And next, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Finally, 
there was a gentle breeze. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his coat, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And again a voice asked, Elijah, why are you here? God ever ask us that? Why are you here? What's your purpose? And Elijah answered him again and said, Lord God, all-powerful, I have always done my best to obey you, but your people have broken their solemn promise to you. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets except me, and now they are even trying to kill me. Still kind of focused in on himself, isn't he? He's had 40 days to reflect here. (laughs) The Lord responded to him and said, and the Lord uh, being caring, didn't chastise him. Just as Elijah, you can go back to the desert near the town of Damascus, and when you get there, appoint Haziel, the king of Syria, and then appoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to take your place as my prophet. Hazel will start killing the people who worship Baal, and Jehu will get those who escape from Haziel, and Elisha will get those who escape from Jehu. But 7,000 Israelites have refused to worship Baal, and they will live. So even in his lowest moment, even when he's so focused on self-preservation, God still watched out for him and protected him. And God didn't chastise him. Now that's not always the case. There are stories in the Bible where God does chastise, right? But I think it's important for us to remember that Even though we may not be a prophet of God, we are still called to serve him, right? As we read, Bob read in our scripture this morning, the great commission that God gave to the disciples to go out and to preach. But he doesn't just send them out, he makes a promise to them. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I want to end by telling you a funny little story. There once was a man who was chased by a tiger, And he was running as hard as he could away from the tiger, and at last he reached the edge of a cliff. And he couldn't get away to the right or to the left, and the tiger was still right there coming up behind him. Now the man was at the end of the cliff with the tiger in front of him. But he found that there was a tree branch growing out of the side of the cliff just a few feet down. And so he jumped off the cliff and grabbed the branch. And he's hanging there on that branch. And just then... A little mouse came out of a space near that branch and began to chew on the branch. Now the man was scared to see that there was a thousand foot drop and he would surely be dead if he fell from this height. Now frightened, the man looked to the sky and he yelled, Dear God, please save me. I'll do anything you ask me to do. Suddenly a voice came from heaven and it said, You'll do anything I ask? The man was shocked to hear a reply, and he replied back, I'll do anything, please save me. And the voice replied from the sky, and it said, There is only one way I can save you, but it will take courage and faith. Can you do what I ask? Do you have faith? The man was too scared to see that, was too scared to see that the branch was going to loosen. He saw it starting to break off, and the tiger was still growling from the top of the cliff, so he couldn't go back up. And so we replied, please, God, tell me what to do. I will do whatever you say. Your will is my will. 
And a voice from heaven said, All right then, let go of the branch. And after a long silence, the man looked down again at that thousand-foot fall and certain death. And he looked up again, and he yelled, Is anyone else up there? I know it's a kind of a funny joke, but how often are we hanging out? Just hanging out. Is anybody else up there? We don't like what God has for us. We don't like what he wants us to do, or maybe it's uncomfortable, or whatever. Whatever the barrier is. We need to trust God with our whole hearts. I think sometimes we lack, without trusting in God, we lack that eternal perspective. Our view is dim and our insight is confined to that narrow right now, to that moment. But can we trust God even when we can't see anything but what would seem to us to be certain, certain failure or certain death or whatever the case is. Um, I know for me, I have gone through and kind of, I, I feel like I'm still in the middle of recently a period of time where it's just a struggle. Um, where you know, not, I don't feel like I'm questioning God specifically, but just sometimes you don't, the purpose, your purpose isn't clear maybe, or um, you know, where you're at, you're not sure what to do. And some, sometimes they're just events that just shake your faith. But I just want to encourage you guys that even in those times, even in your lowest times, trust God, because he said, I am with you always. As Paul said, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And as Jesus said to the disciples when he set them out, he said, and Jesus came and spake to them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is um, number 103. So if you want to.